Hello, welcome again to the Mike Thrace podcast. You're listening to your host, Mike Thrace. I hinted at this in last week's episode, particularly around the subconscious mind and this understanding. It's kind of this difficulty to explain it and a lot of people in the spiritual awakening community are becoming more aware of this. And it, it, it dovetails in my work around be prosperity conscious and, and quantum physics and integrating, I guess, what you could call a reasonable, rational way of thinking, practical thinking, with more esoteric, heart-oriented, what you could say is the subconscious mind thinking. And that's around multiple dimensions of reality. <laughs> so to ex- attempt to explain this is, at times, perhaps a bit foolish. One could also say you have to be a fool to understand spiritual awakening. So to be labelled as foolish and the archetype of the fool is also someone is very powerful in our culture. I recently arrived back in Melbourne and they connected with multiple dimensions of reality and states of conscious. I was talking to my mother who watched the movie last night based on perhaps the most popular archetype and the fool in, in modern interpretations of it. And there is many fools. Yeah, do we need to be challenging? Jesus Christ is both the fool and the magician. He is that fool of pure heart. The, the child is most common the fool. And in falling and diving, I do. Uh, I emphasize the, the, the fool, like the Buddha. The spiritual embodiment of heart awareness, a dimension of heart awareness beyond good or bad, right or wrong, could appear to many like a fool. But to get to that full energy, and it's also portrayed by people like Frodo and Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit, that, that full, and then the, the imagery of the full card in the major arcana is quite commonly like a pilgrim energy. So yeah, for me, unashamed in saying that, I was very much the fool in stepping out on a pilgrimage. But in going to the space of dimensional reality of the fool, where there's nothing other than the, the backpack and the, and the image of the card often shows this real naive, not necessarily masculine, but masculine or feminine. It doesn't really matter, male or female, be, it, because the fool is really beyond gender. It's, it's a heart orientation and walking off into the unknown. And it could be, there could be all these dangers going on around it and there's a lot of uncertainty. But that's the ability of the fool to jump dimensions. And that's why Jesus Christ and the Buddha and the, these people that transcend reality and change their mindset, it generally comes from the fool. But the danger of the fool is, and what I'm talking about with the conversation I had with my mother, me having just arrived back in Melbourne, is she just watched the movie, The Joker, played by Joaquin Phoenix. And I haven't seen this movie. so And maybe that's a good thing, so I can't give away all the spoilers. But why I'm bringing this up, and I feel it's really important to address it, having just had the, the synopsis, I guess, and you... You know, you feel free to leave some comments whether this is posted. You might have your own perspective on this. But in understanding multiple states of consciousness, the fool is this, this level of awareness where there is this ability to transcend the normal way of living. The way I understand this movie was portrayed, and we know that the Joker is at the same time often... Yeah, I remember the movie It with Stephen King, and a lot of you may have also watched it. And um, I'm not wanting to give you all nightmares, but it was this very interesting space that this horror movie was so traumatizing to kids and children that this a clown that put the preying on children. 
So it was like the, 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 the message, the symbol of heart awareness, the fool, was ultimately put into a, a polarity of negativity and someone who betrayed. And that's why it was so horrifying and so damaging. And in the Batman movies, it's the, the Batman is of, of portrayed as Mr. Mr. Good and whether he's fighting Bane in the is ultimately another connected representative of Batman. They both cover the League of Shadows in the Christopher Nolan tradition. You can see the clear polarity between the two. They're both they're not that far apart. Mine's a vigil well, they're both in effect vigilantes, you know? It's really just the meaning mine gives it. And while one is wanting to blow up the city to kind of free from the constraints of capitalism, materialism, the other one's ultimately identity is the thought of both protecting people, but protecting people based on the lie and the Harvey Dent Act and, and the idea that there is good and bad, right and wrong. So this is why it's so challenging in this movie, The Joker and the idea of multiple states of consciousness and me wanting to get, I guess, take you down a bit deeper into this, into this greater levels of awareness, beyond this right and wrong, beyond the stories and we see on the news at night about the good guys and the bad guys or all the, the vaccinated or the unvaccinated. This, this tendency of the mind, the rational, reasonable mind, why it can't facilitate change? It keeps consuming the same stories whether it's about the vaccine or whether it's about overseas conflict, it's programmed to continually look for good, bad, right, wrong stories to maintain the identity. And this is perhaps why this movie, The Joker, was so challenging and, and so confrontational, uh, is that it betrays the, the protagonist. Is it doesn't necessarily fit into the good or the bad. So this is the interesting space, isn't it? And it, for me, it's really difficult when... Yeah, we've got, from a very young age, there's green means go and red means, yeah, stop. We, we don't seem to betray a lot of, of, put a lot of energy in the orange. <laughs> um, amber, proceed with caution or, or, or gradually slow down. It, it seems to be the, the yes and the no, right and the wrong. It's like we need to define things as good or bad. The 3D level of conscious is always looking for divisiveness. Looks the conflict looks for separation. And this is the space of going into a more heart-centered full journey. Losing a job, having our, our marriages, our relationships broke down, having some space created in our life where the, our identity was so crafted, perhaps around either fit in with the good, bad, right, wrong. And it could be either way. It could be very much aligned with the, the bad. They need to play out the bad state, the bad roles. We see this, and my grandfather actually was was in this space where his my mother's father, his father was at war. He had two older siblings, and he didn't really feel a lot of support in the house growing up. He was very young, and it's often he would share these stories with me as a young man, very not me, a young boy, and he was very much in that Joker mentality. He was very much the Joker, pure pure heart. And he was a bit of the rebel Joker. He would, he was very anti-authoritarian. He, he was smoking cigarettes when he was seven or eight years old. He was often kind of doing his own thing. Uh, he used to, he just, very wild at heart. And he, he got in trouble with the teachers. He used to answer back and they'd cane him. And there's a similar thing where he was left-handed. And I don't know if he went to, I think it was a Catholic school. This is some time ago. But left being a left-hander was something that was the shame. And they used to, the teachers used to whip him with the cane on the left hand to make, force him to write right-handed. 
So he never learned to read or write all that well, but he's incredibly intelligent. And he was on this track of very much that rebel on that, on that Joker path. And he, and he had no strong uh, patriarchal figure. It was away at the war. And he was in that rebel state. He probably looked at himself as a rebel, as not worthy. And it was looking like he might, they should be going to like a, yeah, I guess what you'd be called a pre-jail facility. He was he was getting himself all types of mischief, but he came under the tutelage of a strong male teacher who was reasonably firm on him and, and hard on him, but helped him see that he was worth persisting with, that maybe he didn't have to be so bad, that like perhaps me feeling so aligned with having to be so good, <laughs> and then being so afraid of making a mistake that when I did, it created this awareness of, oh, maybe I don't have to always do the good thing or the right thing. For my grandfather, Don, he didn't realise, he realised he didn't have to be so bad anymore. He didn't have to play out the identity of the rebel. And while that was always his strength and great with me to share these stories with me, he grew up to have, he married his childhood sweetheart and he had three young daughters well, young, yeah, they were young when he had them, obviously, and he raised them and he worked two or three jobs and also was a musician and, and he worked his butt off his whole life. And he was beloved by many because he still, he had that, he was of pure heart. He was the full archetype, but he was somewhat of a magician as well because he also had an awareness of creativity and flow. And he was able to share his wisdom with me, a impressionable young boy who, who idolised his grandfather. I, and I wanted to please him. I wanted. I was impressed by him. I loved that he was different. But I was so afraid to step outside the box. I couldn't step outside because I was so conditioned to everything I was consuming in media and environment around wanting to be the good. But my grandfather, he didn't, want, he didn't need me to be good because he loved me beyond good or bad, right or wrong. He could see they were just roles, and while he didn't necessarily understand it, as no one, we don't necessarily understand it unless we're in our heart, it's like the mind will consistently tell us we're not good enough. But we, and we can't question it beyond the parameters, because everything in law of attraction creates is, we, we, everywhere we go, there we are. We keep meeting mirrors of the identity. If we think something's bad, we're quite likely to get that reflection back, because our thoughts and beliefs keep creating reality. So it can be very difficult to move back into the heart unless we have someone in our awareness helps foster that. And that's what I really cherished about my grandfather. And so when I, even though I studied hard and, and people listening to this might have known me, I've I now approached a lot more people on LinkedIn who might have known me from school. And I was very much an high achiever. I feared making mistakes. I had to be the best at everything because I was coming from such a space of lack. And I was looking for the, the world to affirm my worth. So I was so afraid of making mistakes. But at the same time, my grandfather was this, he, he was this space where he welcomed a bit of the rebelliousness. We'd be in the car and, and he drove the four-wheel drive. And ideally, obviously, we stay on the road and we do things the right way. But when I was in the car with him, I would say, Don, take us off the road. Like he would get off this, and he started driving the upper side of the road at 45 degree angles. With his wife, who was in her seventies at the time, and my mother, maybe a mother aunt, and he was just so different to everybody else I had in my reality, so different, and he thrived in it with me, 
because you can see in me that a similar like-minded spirit. We Our birthdays are three or four days apart. We share the, our birthdays every year. But unfortunately, what happened to me, I guess as I thought, it got to a point where I, yeah, I worked hard and I was at my best. And even I went to university and I, I was in these two spaces where I was studying commerce, which is accounting and business and finance and very much seen as a safe job. And also arts, which is English literature, creativity and writing essays and, my, and history and passions and studying all these amazing books. So there was these two facets of me. That yeah, the and ultimately it's become my strength now. But at the time, I felt really conflicted because I just was having so much difficulty relating to this business stuff. I was very much kind of, I guess, I was trying to play out the role of pleasing everybody, but being really inauthentic in it. But when I was just doing what I loved, which is reading and writing, creating, I was excelling. I was doing really well. But then, yeah, when I got to twenty one, a few weeks. After my 21st, my grandfather was hit by a car. And um, not far from where I'd actually begin my first professional working job a few years later. And, and <laughs> being unwilling to receive the help and maybe be a bit stubborn like me, um, he, he left hospital after probably not enough time. He, he had some internal injuries and ultimately they developed, but he, he died a few weeks after my, my 21st. And he... He was 74, which is, I guess, not young, but for him, it just felt like he was, he was too soon. And everybody in that, my family, connected family, we, we just couldn't believe it. And I remember my grandmother and I, and I've, I think I've talked a little bit about this in the, the, the Mercedes episode. You might want to listen to, go back and listen to Golden Mercedes. And yeah, we spent a lot of time together after it, the grieving, and um, she handed over to Gretchen handed over to me a few of these things and these aftershaves and his, his some of these clothes and possessions and he used to do the gardening where they lived and they lived at a, a like a body corp unit um group of six units in Temple Star and I wasn't really a green thumb but we used to get in there and do gardening together and and I'd um I'd wash her car and I used to take her shopping and yeah, I think it was just a way of this. We we really were just filling this space of grief, and and it was really good to to do that and gave us a sense of purpose. But it was really sad, and I don't think either of us really ever got over it. Um, along with a lot of these other family members, um, but my grandmother and I were, I th- I think for me, I I developed a lot of anger. I had, I had so much anger and resentment. And that's the process of grief and the dimensions. And, and this episode tonight's probably gone in a different direction of where we're getting back to that fall of the multiple states of conscious space. But what I guess I'm getting at with this grief and anger and the rage and the pure heart, it did eventually create this space of, of losing attachment to the, to the reasonable, rational identity. Something that was already, the seeds have been planted by my grandfather. And when he passed, I... I, I developed so much anger and rage and I was a little bit like the Joker. <laughs> I didn't go around, yeah, I didn't go around shooting people, but I was so resentful that my hero had been taken away from me because he was my, my crutch. He was my person that I looked up to and I just couldn't deal with it. And But that's, I guess, it's not sugarcoating it. It's still something this is a long time ago now, 
but for, for some time, even uh, what happened is he represented a part of me which was the fool and the rebel, and and it needed to be and needed to balance out this this person, the mind identity that was coming from such a space of lack, because the mind is always some lack. All these stories where we're trying to aspire, like you look at marketing and, and there's so many things about telling us where we're missing something, we're not good enough. And while it could be, it can be helpful to reach the goal, and I think goals and achievements are a wonderful thing, whether it's in business and athletics or entertainment creativity, but the idea that we need them and that we're not enough unless we match these celebrated identities, that these celebrated people, that ultimately a lot of them are dealing with their own mental health issues and even the people that seem to be the most successful, the ones that are almost detached from it. But it's not necessarily portrayed that way in the media. They, they, they've ultimately embodied a, a frequency where they're not striving. That's how they got to it, because they gave up this need to strive that they were lacking. And this is that, I guess, the illusion behind the veil that I would learn and I talk about in all these episodes of write about in books around multiple levels of consciousness and spiritual awakening and pilgrimage, is that the mind consciousness doesn't get you to success. That's the simplest way I can put it. The 3D effort work, it can get you moving. And this is what we talked about last week. It can get you moving from a state of lethargy. Even for me, for grief, anger can be a form of moving through the grief. But it can also, if we stay in the angry state without acknowledging the emotions of worthiness, if my grandfather was to keep fighting against the world because his father was at war, and he would have just ended up in an institution. He had to kind of accept at some point, maybe I, I need to stop being so self-destructive and, and maybe I can receive help. And while it's a, this person was his teacher and I think his name was Mr. Sunderman, interesting name, it sounds like a school principal type, and he was a strong male teacher and he worked with troubled men. And he saw in my grandfather someone who was also on that pathway to, to basically just ultimate destruction and but he was able to cultivate this level of discipline and awareness in my in my grandfather that was lacking but what i'm getting at with this is to be purely in one or the other is not good either way i'll be good or bad it's to be to integrate the heart awareness with the ability to function in the world to be in the world but not of the world. So to be in harder line but not attached to looking to the world for fulfilment. That seems to be the, the, the means of success. It's certainly been that way for me with creativity and shifting my mindset and feeling more worthy within and being authentic. And I feel that perhaps if you come to this today, it's probably that space for you too. That if we keep consuming content, if we keep speaking the same way, if we keep doing the same things we've always done, we'll keep getting them back because that's the law of attraction keeps reflecting that back. And as I mentioned with Neville Goddard, rather than trying to change the mirror, change the face, change the inner perception of self. And ultimately changing the inner perception of self is an action in the external, isn't it? It's still doing something. But it's coming from a recognition within that maybe we don't have to keep playing out the victim role or the not good enough role or the resentful anger grief role. So for me, with my grandfather and his journey, that he cultivated a hard awareness, an ability to be authentic. And when he went away, I think I was so angry at the world, I, I, was, I felt so confused. Because this is someone who had given me permission to be authentically me. And then I was both incredibly angered and... and I guess disenchanted with everything that I almost wanted to turn my back on it all 
And at the same time, I was angry at all the decisions I was making that I had to turn my back on my dreams. I carried this frequency of resentment for so long and then I, I kept trying to pretend to be someone I wasn't. But often, <laughs> the pretending, I, I got good at understanding what how conditioned reality works. I, I developed this ability to shapeshift and do people's expectations because I, I knew how to pretend to be what, I, what people wanted me to be. And maybe you're at the same where we can, we can go around pretending. We, we, we become what people want us to be. But we lose ourself in the process, our self, our heart self. And in the end, there's got to be a burnout because if we're always looking through ourselves and the other, we always need another to be worthy. And my grandfather was partly that aspect of me. And while he was helping create that heart awareness, that ability to be authentic, ultimately his passing did show me that I, I, had, I was relying on him. I had to become my own man at some point. And ultimately that comes to having a bit of discipline of focus around the heart. So what I'm talking about multiple levels of conscious and, and even the pathway of the fool to the magician, which I particularly talk about in Falling and Diving and why I developed Be Prosperity and Conscious as a book after it, is understanding that there is multiple levels of conscious the way we live and it's connected to how we see ourselves, And the way I rationalise it, Rationalizing being the key word because we're taught to conceptualize things. We communicate through words, the words and the frequency. And this, you listen to this through words. And that's how we relate. Our words are a concept. So, you know, when we begin speaking, it's already, it can create a duality, a frequency. And it's to go in the world of the good, bad, right, and wrong. But <laughs> you can still understand it a thermodynamic perspective beyond the good amount of right or wrong. And what for me it embodies is how you perceive information is dependent on the role that you've adopted or accepted. And why I like the idea of the fool and the magician, the Gandalf and the Frodo, is there are two different ends of the, of the, the level of 3D duality. They're not so attached to either the good, bad, right or wrong or the need to please. The successful archetype is someone who's worked hard to do the things. They're already embodied in there. You could have a, a master chef as a master magician. Someone who's ultimately embodied their craft. And you, if you observe the really talented craftsman, whether it's a carpenter, whether it's an athlete, the person that's at the top of their game, they're generally not, so striving, are they? I'm not saying they don't do the things. They show up, they body, even actors. But if you, and the image that we might see through being aware again that what we, how we believe reality to exist is what we'll get back. So we're unlikely to see this aspect of the certain person until uh, Denzel Washington is an example for me, seen as a very successful actor. And, and, he, and I know I've seen him in interviews talk about Law of Attraction. And he talked about how it's embodiment of belief more than a hard work. And Will Smith's also into this. A lot of actors, renowned, celebrated, talented actors at the top of the game are into this. But I didn't see these interviews when I was still believing that you had to work hard to be worthy. But again, bring that back to the level of the master craftsman, the carpenter, the architect. The people at the top of the game, they're not striving. They're not ethnic. They're not trying to outdo or compete against the other. 
Yes, an athlete does compete, but they're embodied in their own frame. Usain Bolt's not trying to beat all the other people around him. He's trying to add to himself. He's looking at how can I maximise my own performance. That's why you're so successful. And he's in the flow and enjoying it. He's a lot less stiff and uptight than all the other runners that run alongside him. And that's what made him such a successful runner. It's the same with creativity and flow and business. And this is something I'm still working at. And that's why the two ends of the cell of the conscious and following a diary from the fool to the magician. The fool is the child that goes through the world and then it's, it starts out as worthy because it's not missing anything. But then condition of programming and, and the conceptual matrix, whatever you want to call it, keeps telling them they're not enough. They might be around the most sovereign parents who love them unconditionally. But the world doesn't love ourselves because it keeps running it back to media consumer information that says it's not enough. So the child becomes the warrior that thinks it needs to fight. It can be resentful adolescent or young adult like I was when my grandfather died. And that is a way of moving forward. It's a transition to the adult, the king-queen archetype. But the warrior doesn't become the king-queen. And often the king-queen embodied landowner, magician, and sovereign in their own state until they let go of this thing to keep fighting and proving. So this is the, the levels of consciousness where a king queen's already sovereign who they are. They believe in who they are. And they might not even be necessarily doing this type of content, but they're authentic to them. And they don't necessarily need to look through anybody out there to prove their worth. They might drop in out of consciousness. They might watch the news every night and they're concerned about all these things. But then they're also looking to the world to prove their worth in some level. But there's people that embody success are not so attached to what's going on in the world because they recognise their world comes from within. And ultimately what's helped get them that perspective is they're tired of fighting. There's a saying of the Tao, the, 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 the Tao master is sick of sickness, therefore he's well, he, she is well. It's written in the predominantly in the masculine, but the feminine is much the same. The, the Tao is feminine in its own form. But the one who is, who's thought so much of the sick of fighting will be well. Because they can see how much of the ethening and the warrior state ultimately just creates more need for the fight. And this is a lot of awareness, and maybe you're at this space here. This is what was for me. I was fighting so much to prove identity. Kept pro- kept pretending. Kept to, everywhere I go, tried to please. It just became exhausted, and then eventually the identity collapsed. And I realised there was nothing I never, either, never ever needed to pretend. And ultimately all the efforting was actually creating more suffering. So the heart awareness of the level of consciousness, which is the fool. The fool doesn't need to have a polarity. It only has a polarity when it's actually going into fighting and unworthiness. The joker is ultimately the polarity of the fool not being worthy. Gollum and Smeagol is the ego to throw to Bilbo's heart orientation. It's the ego versus the unconditional self. You could look at them, split the relic. The same person that's listening to this content. The person, the identity, the mind, is separate to the observer that's actually aware of the faults and listening. The observer and the observed. The listener and the listened. The identity and the unconditional divine I am self. So the, the identity is the perceiver of, through the layers of the attached role it adopts. But beyond identities, there's no, no identity, no thing, unconditional I am. 
And that the mind can't get that that's in concepts and trying to strive the proof. But the identity that's collapsed, that perhaps let go of the grief and shame and had enough of trying to prove, realizes that it and everything is, is already I am, is already divine, is already unconditional love. Thanks again for listening. Bit of a rabbit hole one again tonight, today, whenever you I am recording at night time in Melbourne and it's it feels really resonant. I guess as a concluding message and <laughs> it's just funny to share these and I, I do, I share these off the cuff with generally weekly because I, I just set an intention to create something of value that feels resonant and ultimately it, it's challenging. It can, not so much for me to create, but it can be challenging to perceive or understand. But the, remember, the mind has an appetite for more. And if when we're still in the mind, I've, I was in the mind for 30 plus years, I know what it's like. The mind will all walk into a room and it's measuring itself up against everyone else in the room or it's trying. It's, it, it just doesn't feel enough because it's programmed and I think it's enough. It needs the love of the job, the, the material possessions, all the things to feel it's worthy because it's a mind. It's a program. It's like downloading an update on your iPhone or your Samsung and it's saying this is the worthiness app. You could be worthy now. Okay, but now we've put some more upgrades to the app. There's been a conflict overseas. There's been a few other things. So, and they're not quite worthy. So we need to do another patch. Here's another patch. Of you keep getting the upgrades on the iPhone, but eventually you've got to put the phone aside. So what if I'm already worthy beyond the upgrade, the software? What if it wasn't really about the external programs? What if we're born as the fool that in the heart? That's everything already aligned. And our ability to actually receive the home, the, the lover, the partner, the authentic, inspiring, creative job, it's not in the, the external thing. It comes from within. And the, the awareness comes from within when we stop being so plugged into an external world that tells us we're not enough. Bye for now.